0: I'm Sutter Guttery. And I'm Win Scott. Welcome to the
1: second episode of our podcast, Romanov. Survived or deceased.
0: In this mini-series, we will dive deep in the Romanov family murder that took place over a hundred years ago.
1: We have information, new leads, evidence, and interviews every episode so we can figure out how and when the Romanov family was killed.
0: Last episode we gave a basic introduction on the Romanov family murder. A war begins, citizens split into two groups, royal family is captured and then subsequently goes missing, and so on and so forth. However, we did make one mistake when introducing the Romanovs. We made it seem like they were perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect, but what we didn't do was examine the bad along with the good. In this episode, we'll be exposing the dark truths and imperfections of the Romanov family, and hopefully uncover how they really ended up dead.
1: Also, we tease in the first episode that we will be having another guest interview with a knowledgeable person that is deeply interested and fascinated in this case. What details and information will he reveal that can bring us closest to the truth? Find out on this episode of Romanov Survived or Deceased.
0: Say that the Romanov family wasn't exactly a group of angels. Well, when I'm saying this, I'm kind of referring to Nicholas II, who was the black hearted one of the group. Nicholas II was one of the few Russian emperors of his time that didn't have any background experience in the military. This resulted in him becoming a terrible military strategist and leader. Combine this with a poor economy at the time, and Russia's involvement in World War I and you can get a pretty basic understanding of how the Russian citizens felt about Nicholas II.
1: The majority of the people in Russia were impoverished. They lived on the streets with no money as the rich, wealthy people walked by. There weren't many since everyone was poor. They knew they were in trouble. The rich could pay off anyone they wronged, including Nicholas II. Even the name struck fear into people's soul. If anyone approached them, they were instantly slaughtered. Nicholas had the second highest kill count of the Russian Civil War, killing anyone who wronged him.
0: The Russian citizens then rebelled against their emperor. They rallied on the streets and and protested the unfairness of the conditions they were living in. Nicholas then became panicked. He sent a group of soldiers to kill the protesters, but the soldiers disobeyed his orders. They refused to shoot their fellow citizens because they didn't agree with Nicholas II's motives with no authority to be afraid of, the people of Russia went unchecked and caused a rampage in the streets. We have photographic
1: evidence that shows that a group of people pushed an enormous statue of Nicholas II over and broke the head off to show their hatred. The people lived in constant fear and anger towards him. When the Romanov family was captured by the Bolsheviks, the government sent out an official statement claiming that the family had been taken into hiding for their own protection and were being guarded constantly. So, what kind of man is Nicholas II if his own government wanted him dead?
0: Both Wayne and myself found separate accounts of how and when the Romanov family was killed. My account was documented by writer Jelly Ryabov and his findings when he traveled to Russia on a business trip. Wynn's account shared the point of view from Yakov Yurkovsky, a Russian executioner, who assembled the team that was, was responsible for their deaths. Both stories have several similarities and differences. Make sure to pay attention to some of these details, because they might be the difference in how the family was executed.
1: So I had the Yuroskovsky's account of the execution of the imperial family. This took place. Well, this interview took place on February first, nineteen thirty-four. Yoroskasi planned to kill the royal family and more. Their friends were there as well. He prepared 12 revolvers designated to the people so they would find out who would shoot who. Um, A truck would arrive at midnight, and once the truck arrived, everyone would get on and go to the royal family palace. So they got there, they broke into the house, and the family barricaded themselves in the bottom of the basement. Yoroskasi's men got there, Bushed them down and lined them up. Then he, has, he assigned each person to shoot someone else. So they all started shooting, and they fired through the doors, the bullets ricocheted, it was a whole mess. Um, Alexei remained still. He was completely calm and no one shot him. So then Yoroskasi went up and just shot him in the head. They shot the daughters, but did not kill him. They were still there alive and just in pain so they got their bayonet went up and stabbed them but that didn't work either they finally just took a bullet to their heads um they put everyone on stretchers load them into a car and were taking them to a mine to bury them now in this mine shaft they had shallow graves which is what mr baruti was talking about when we interviewed him last episode on the way to the mine shafts. Their car got stuck, so they had to unload the car, and that's when some looters came in and stole a bunch of their stuff. They had they had planned the burial at the mine shaft where they where the Romanovs worked. Um, we had photos from the last episode that showed those mine shafts shallow graves. And like again, Mr. Broody said that up in his interview. On the way there, they met several people. They had planned to undress the bodies, burn the clothes and all the valuables and then bury the bodies in the mine shafts. Now, the jewelry they at the sisters had on were actually not heirlooms, they were used as protection. Mr. Broody thought they were just family heirlooms, but no, they were what the girls wore to protect themselves from the bullets and the bayonets. Okay, now they have burned the clothes and got rid of the heirlooms. So they dig the graves, throw the bodies in, and they find out that the bodies won't actually fit in the graves. The graves are too shallow. Water won't cover it. Nothing will. So after this, he decided to go downtown. So he hired some of his men to watch and guard the bodies and the valuables to make sure there are no more looters, make sure no one sees them, sees the dead bodies. So he gets down to town, and he finds out that there's another grave sh- mine um, a, a, a little bit away but they could easily hide the bodies since that's where most people hid their bodies when they murdered someone. So he decides, okay, yeah, let's do that instead. So, on the way to the mineshaft, he thought of a new plan. He's like, wait a minute, this is gonna take too long, too much effort, we don't have enough time. Why don't we just burn the bodies and then bury the ashes in the mineshafts? So, he gets back and they hire a specialist to help burn the bodies. They burn the bodies including Alexei's and one of the Romanov friends Denadova. He was there and was also executed. Once they burned the bodies, they buried the ashes in the mineshaft and they made a pact to never speak of this incident ever again. Whether anyone broke that pact or not, well that's a different story, but we don't have that evidence yet. Now enjoy Sutter's account of how they were murdered.
0: Joey Rybov was a Russian author who made frequent business trips to Russia. On one occasion, he heard about the mystery of the Romanov family murder and became intrigued in it. Some might say he became obsessed with it. While he was in Russia, he convinced some associates to take him to the house that the Romanovs were held captive in. He told them that they would take him in the morning. But Ryabov couldn't possibly wait that long, could he? He snuck out of his hotel room in the middle of the night to observe the outside conditions of the house and take notes. When he returned the following morning, he reviewed his notes about Yakov Yurkovsky, the executioner who led the team guards that murdered the Romanovs. By observing the room they had been murdered in, he d- deducted that the firing took no more than one minute. Yurkovsky and the guards took the bodies in a car to the mineshaft in the surrounding area, he deducted. The same mineshaft that we talked about in episode one, coincidentally. However, they weren't able to dump the bodies because the shaft wouldn't collapse to hide the evidence. So what did the guards do? Well, Jerry Ryabov deducted that they dumped the Romanovs in an unmarked location and poured acid on the bones to destroy the evidence. They then buried them and proceeded to find hiding. Ryabov had listened to this story dozens of times and was determined to find the location in which the Romanovs were buried. He found the site with the help of a local geologist, but they weren't sure if the bones were from the Romanovs. This changed when they found the smaller remains of Nicholas II's pelvic bone. They confirmed that the skeleton, skeletons were the Romanovs and examined the wounds in the bone. Several had been shot in the head with a high caliber rifle. With his new findings, Ryabod became a celebrity in the historic world, and pursued to make a profit off his findings. Let's introduce Dr. Griffin, another Mount Vernon Presbyterian School teacher who learned about this case less than a year ago, but loves the case nevertheless. Okay everyone, so today we're here with um, Dr. Griffin, a really good teacher at Mount Verde. I don't have him personally, but I've heard really good things about him, <laughs> so I'm just going to lead off with that, and um, today we're just going to be talking about him, talking to him about his personal opinions on um, the Romanov family as a whole and ideas of ideas that he has that could possibly help us uncover the cold truth and the whole thing. So uh, Dr. Griffin, um, Ms. Tussie told you that you've been really fascinated in this case, what drew you to this case in particular?
2: Um, I think if you look back at, like, some of the things I've read and watched as a kid, you know, one of the big movies when I was younger was Dr. Zhivago, and it's set during the uh, Bolshevik Revolution. And last year when we were teaching Humanities 10 and we were – talking and teaching the students uh, about global politics and global history, one of the fascinating moments for me is the Russian Revolution. So thinking about this moment in time in which one class of people rose up against another and the society was changing at a a rapid pace. So last year in Humanities 10, we did a, a simulation type experiment where or simulation type assignment, rather, where the students learned all about the Romanov dynasty um, from the 1820s through to the revolution. And then it ended with the students being put into se- separate groups representing the different factions. So the workers, the peasantry, the royal family, etc. And they then like voted on the future of Russia. And we learned about how their vote differed or compared to um, what actually happened in history.
0: Okay, so quick follow question that's particularly important to the case that we're trying to solve right here. What is your initial opinion on the Romanov family as a whole, the good and the bad?
2: Um, I think that um, particularly the the last Romanov, Nicholas II, I think he suffered from the a failure to understand that his the dynasty needed to change with the times. You know, one of the things that I think other countries have done really well is reflect the, the needs and responses of the people. So whether that's the monarch becoming more of a figurehead rather than a head of state or or being a head of state rather than a commander-in-chief, right? So one of the interesting things about America is that our president represents, like, multiple factions, whereas in England, the queen and the monarchy represent, um, they are figureheads. They are heads of state. They do not make the law, right? They are not the parliamentary leader or the leader, uh, the prime minister, right? The prime minister would be considered more the commander-in-chief in in control of the um, political decisions of the country, leading parliaments, Right. So I think that's kind of like I think he didn't really understand he wasn't able to understand that he needed to change as the world was changing and as his country. Was. OK, um,
0: another quick question. What we found in our, our findings and what we've read is that um, he that Nicholas II wasn't particularly liked. And um, what reasons do you have that could possibly support this?
2: Well, we know historically some of the reasons he wasn't liked is his intervention in the war, right? At the time, Russia was suffering from an economic depression. Russia had fought in a war in 1905 earlier, uh, 10 years prior to World War I, and they were still suffering from those consequences, both economically, socially, the loss of lives. Um, There was religious fallout as well. Um, I think, you, you know, both Nicholas II and his... Would it be his father? Yes, his father were particularly religiously devout, which at the time period, people were starting to turn away from religion, which is kind of another interesting tack uh, or thing to think about culturally. So, like at the end of the 19th century, society as a whole globally was starting to become more industrialized and more educated. And one of the things that they were doing, I think, if you look at like on a larger scale, is people were becoming more agnostic and atheist and a religious as a royal family both nicholas ii and his father held on to religion as a way to hold on to the traditions of russia like that's how they kind of like justified their position as czars to say that they had the divine right and i think he got a lot of backlash for that and i think you know the loss of lives in world war i that was just another thing that people held him responsible for they could no longer they could no longer uh, accept that loss of life due to poor decisions Like sending people out and dying in the freezing cold, not feeding the soldiers, not having enough food for the peasants, you know?
0: Religion. That's it. That's what made people turn on Nicholas II. Over the course of history, there have been many arguments, fights, and war over a certain religion. This wasn't uncommon and probably is what started the Russian Civil War. Now, let's continue to listen to what Dr. Griffin has to say.
1: How they died and who murdered them.
2: So my understanding is they were held in seclusion for quite a long time. I'm not sure what the exact date was, but at some point they were brought into a room in an underground room of some kind. And uh, the guards were sort of lined up in a sort of horizontal line and just started firing. And that it produced, I know one of the accounts says it produced like so much smoke they couldn't even see into the room. Um, I know another account is that both Nicholas and his wife died rather quickly, like they were the first to die and the children, quote unquote, survived a little longer, because their clothing was laced with jewelry. Um, And so they had like this padded layer or padded protection. And so when they were when the soldiers realized that not only did they like shoot them even more, but apparently they used bayonets to like stab them through the netting and the fabric. So that's kind of how I understand how the execution went. And then, as opposed to like after that, or you know what I've read is they were basically moving the bodies a couple times, and it's led to some confusion. And they were dropped down a mine shaft, but they were also picked back up when people realized where they were, and they were buried at a undisclosed location on a back road somewhere so it's kind of like weird when you think about like how important people are often buried and like worshiped at their burial spot so that's kind of different
0: you know what's very interesting is i can't speak for uh... when but when isn't what dr griffin just told us very similar to what you found it yep that's exactly what
1: my case said
2: Mm -hmm. and i mean i think this is just sort of like I think the reason why there is this common understanding is because there was an inquiry inquiry done after and that's the quote-unquote official report right so when people are let's say Like, like, let's look at the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, since we're in that time period. When he was assassinated, he was assassinated in such a public forum. Like, everyone not only witnessed it, but there were newspaper reporters that were able to write about it. In this case, everything was done so privately that the only account that could be accepted was the one that was given by the official, right? Um, So I think that's kind of why there seems to be the same story, quote unquote, of what happened. Because there's only really one story that's ever been told.
1: That is exactly what my story said. Those heirlooms Sam Brody said were just jewelry? Were actually production that, they used, that the sisters used. It was where they were buried that gets a little sketchy. I read that they were burnt to a crisp and then their ashes were buried in graves. And Sutter read that they were burnt with acid until nothing was left but bones. So what really is it? Could new evidence lead us to unraveling this mystery?
0: We left off last episode teasing that we will discover more about uh, her in the next episode, but we... St- yeah, we need to redo that yeah. part. I need- we left off last episode teasing that we will discover more about Anastasia, but we still don't have the evidence to give an opinion on whether she might have lived or if she had died. Dr. Griffin made it very clear when he said that she wasn't accounted for in the Romanov family death reports. Could it be that she wasn't there when her family was murdered?
1: We get new evidence, so we can finally make a theory of the Romanov family murder and what happened to Anastasia. So, stay tuned till next week on Romanov: Survived or Deceased.